Hi and welcome to episode 14 of Up and Away, the Australian Aviation Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Frangu. This week I have two guests on the show. Both of them you might already know due to their legendary status producing another Australian podcast. It's Steve Vischer and Grant McHeron from Plane Crazy Down Under. Steve and Grant started PCDU in 2009, with their last show airing in 2017. In that time, they produced a ton of amazing content covering all aspects of aviation here in Australia and overseas. What they've done and achieved is a huge inspiration for me and Up and Away. All their episodes are up online, so if you haven't checked them out yet and have run out of Up and Away episodes, I encourage you to go listen to them. Thanks again for your support. I thought I should let you know that this is the second last episode of Up and Away for the year. There'll be a season finale out soon, and then I'll be seeing you all next year. It's been an absolute blast producing the show for you all, and I can't wait to get even more stories and content out for you all next year. And let's hope 2021 is a better year for us all and aviation around the world in general. If you like the show, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, and you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle's Up and Away Cast. Now, fasten your seatbelt and let's go. Hey, Stephen Grant, welcome to Up and Away. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. So, this is the absolute first time I've had two people on the show. So, this is mm. going to be very interesting. Uh, no pressure <laughs> at all. No. That's <laughs> us. So, so, I normally ask, when did your aviation journey start and what inspired you to get into aviation? But I've got to ask each one of you. So maybe we start with, well, someone can volunteer who goes first. I, I don't bite much. So. All right, I'll volunteer Grant to go first. Where you go, mate. Oh, thanks. I was giving the hand there gesture you for you to start, not to volunteer me. But anyhow, um, okay, into aviation since as long as I can remember, my father's former New Zealand Air Force. Um, oh, cool. So, yeah, he was with the Sunderlands and then went and got the first P3s when they converted. Uh, so from the earliest I can remember, you know, Dad would be in a Zoom bag and a flight suit and I'd be... Um, seeing aircraft coming up the the valley and banking over my grandparents' house, apparently. Um, I, that's, I can't remember. Apparently, I was there for that. Um, but the first real memory I have um, is being in the kitchen at a house in Paraparam, aka Paraparaumu in New Zealand, and looking out the back window at the Fletcher top dresser aircraft, um, taking off, coming back, getting topped up, taking off, and so on. And, yeah, so it's always been in the blood, Um been definitely interested. Uh, wanted to have a go after high school, but uh, didn't quite have the money. Wound up getting into IT, um, travelled the world, got into dance music, had fun, came back to Australia, still always interested in aircraft, but then eventually went, no, nah, I've got to do this. Had a couple of goes at getting fixed wing licence, but that didn't work thanks to um, you know tanking a company and divorcing my um, son's mother. Um, as, as happens, life gets in the way. And then one day a friend says, here, hold this rope. And it was attached to a hot air balloon. And I, I went for a flight with them. Um, it was a commercial flight. They had a space for me. Um, I came along to see what it was like. And eventually they called me up one day and said, hey, do you want to make some extra money as ground crew? So I started crewing. I was doing some IT consulting at that stage and was mixing up the ground crew. And then I was mixing up the ground crew and doing less consulting. And then I was like 100% on the ground crew and became crew chief and got away from IT for a bit and did a whole lot of stuff with ballooning, got my private license, wound up as an approved maintainer of hot air balloons, got a ham C, and which is basically your head of aircraft airworthiness and maintenance coordination. 
um, approval by CASA and was doing all that, rewrote a whole lot of manuals, wound up as an ops manager, maintenance manager for a commercial operation. And then, yeah, the boss was like, hey, look, you know, it's not really great at the moment, can't afford you. And I said, okay, well, we've fixed everything up. I'll go get a part-time job back in IT, which suddenly wound up full-time in defense. So, yeah. Wow. Crazy story. Did you say dance music at some point? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Don't get yeah, him started on that. Good <laughs> lord. <laughs> went, went from punter to um, organizer. While I was living in the US, I started hanging out with friends who were organizing and got into that. And then I was organizing some gigs when I came back to Sydney because I couldn't find the vibe I used to have. So I said, bugger it, I'll make it. Um, threw a couple of really, really fun parties that went off and was just getting ready to do parties in uh, like warehouses and venues as opposed to trashing our house, which you know, <laughs> hundreds of people going off to underground DJs, Sydney underground DJs in a lounge is a lot of fun. Um, and I got sent to Argentina. So I just went back to partying. And then when I was back in Melbourne, did some gigs uh, with some friends. We were Quantum Jelly back then. That was a lot of silly fun. And <laughs> um, wound up DJing. So, yeah, wow. and then just, awesome. yeah, I've, I hung up my spurs at DJing when I went up back with balloon, you know, full on with ballooning and then back in with defense and all that um, until my son's 21st birthday when, because he's been doing some DJing and he and his mates dragged me out of retirement and they've created a monster. I'm back doing it again, having some fun. That's awesome. That's <laughs> very cool. <laughs> until COVID happened, of course, and yeah, can't do yeah. anything. But, well, my, yeah. fun, my son's got his first gig. Um, now, so there's a sign that we're coming out here in Melbourne. He's he's got a socially distanced uh, one with a, a local um, craft beer place that knows him pretty well. Oh, that's awesome! Very cool. Was your PPL in hot air ballooning? Yeah, uh, so I had a couple of goes at fixed wing, and um, yeah, never got to go solo in fixed wing. But uh, yeah, I've done my uh, private pilot certificate balloons. Um, I've also got an instructor rating with balloons. And of course, the maintenance authority, which is through CASA. Um, but yeah, I, for fun, I, I like to go and get a big old bag of hot air and fly around in a wicker basket under it. and With no brakes? Yeah, I, no steering, no brakes. It's no freaking steering. awesome. Um, <laughs> and, and, and you can actually go from place to place to place. Um, if you know what you're doing and you're not trying to set goals to go back upwind, um, you can actually fly for an hour or two and be, if you're really good, within centimetres of the target. Um, I, wow. I like to consider myself happy if I just fly somewhere near the intersection or the or the field that the cross is in. But um, <laughs> the right state, yeah, yeah. At first, everyone was joking I couldn't even get to the right state, especially up in the Hunter Valley. But the last couple of times <laughs> you're up there flying as a as a social gathering, I was I was actually nailing targets and fields that others were missing. So I was like, oh, I am wow. learning something. <laughs> Took a few years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've always um, been fascinated by how people direct the balloons to locations and destinations. I'm like, how the hell do you do that? That's impossible. No, it's all about different wind directions. Sometimes you've got yeah, bugger well. all steerage, but I've had days of 180 degrees steerage depending on what altitude you're at. Yeah, wow, that's incredible. So I guess you you know what altitude the winds are pointing in what direction and you sort of map it out and sort of plan. So you're like, oh, at this point I need to go north, so I need to be at this Pretty Positive, much. Or... Before we fly, um, we look at all the, the weather reports and you know, the, the grid point weather and temperature. Yeah, right. Um, I, I, <laughs> the only way I'd get out of a grid is if I took off on the border and flew across um, yeah, of right. one of those grids. That <laughs> yeah. But we, we, you know, we still consult them and NOTAMs and all the other stuff like anyone else. But we're also right into windy.tv. We're into um, various other tools at the Bureau of Meteorology Supply 
and um, things like Woolly Weather and other sites. So you're looking at all the sites and getting a feel for what it's likely to be. And then on the morning itself, you've looked at everything. You've figured, well, we're going to be in this area. We've got a number of launch sites and landing targets and things, especially out in a constrained area like Bacchus, less so when you're out near Mildura or Benalla. Or up in, the, up in the Hunter, it's normally a bit more constrained as well because there's unfriendlies and friendlies for balloons. So not everyone likes them landing there. Um, so you look at what the what the forecast is and you put up a helium balloon. They call it a pilot balloon or pieball. And in the morning, it's got a light on it. In the old days, it was a tea candle in a cup. But these days, it's, it's an LED. And you let it go. And you watch it for the first couple of thousand feet to get an idea of what the winds are doing aloft and you've got a consideration like drainage orographic features things like that mm. and you figure out um especially if you know the area reasonably well you figure um, I, I generally defer to those who fly the area all the time there's a couple of spots i'm starting to learn but um yeah you you, you pick your launch site and off you go and then during the flight it's if you're on your own it's up to you to go up and down and figure what it's doing and confirm but if you're flying with others then you um yeah, you'd be like, hey, what are you getting up there or what are you getting down there on the UHF radio? That's pretty cool. And if you see that pilot balloon get sucked into a jet engine, you're like, I will not go. Yeah, we're not normally... Cl- path. Yeah, they're, they're normally... Um, <laughs> by the time it gets to where they're flying, um, it's popped. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> we, and uh, the closest I get to that is um, flying at Bacchus Marsh and Riddles Creek area um, near Melbourne and there's a few spots we can fly there but you're under um, some low steps from Melbourne and especially around Riddles Creek if you're taking off at Riddles and then heading to the north up the valley um, there's a couple of spots early on where you feel like you're hunched over while you're flying because you've only got you know you try and stay a good few hundred feet away from our top of our balloon from there so your altimeter you've got to add about three or four hundred feet to go clearance because your balloon's already you know like a 10-story building it's true actually yeah yeah my basket's out of that yeah my basket's out of controlled airspace shame about the crown (laughs) it's another paperwork event yeah yeah Yeah, great (laughs) all right steve you're next in line uh, you know, I hadn't flown in anything until I was 17, but my father and I used to go to air shows all the time, um, particularly the Easter one up at Mangalore, which sadly doesn't run these days. But um, so, I, 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 but I'd never flown, never flown in a light aircraft. My dad in the 70s used to go flying with a mate quite often out of Moorabbin, uh, and I was always too chicken actually to go with him. But uh, uh, I went overseas to the US uh, in the very late 80s, and... Uh, I remember sitting on this uh, classic uh, Air New Zealand Boeing 747, probably a, a 100, I guess, a really old one. And I'm thinking, I was a bit nervous as a taxi dad. I'm thinking, well, it's either this or swim. And um, <laughs> but anyway, you know, they shoved the throttles forward, and we went rocketing down the runway. And I, you know, you, you know, a 747's like you just thrust back in your seat. It's awesome. And I've just, how good is this, you know? And um, the purpose of that trip actually was to go overseas to be an exchange student and I ended up living with a uh, retired Air Force captain, not a pilot. Um, he's actually a uh, intercontinental ballistic missile crew commander, which was really, oh, wow. yeah, it was fascinating in itself. But um, I ended up in the uh, in the great state of Arkansas, which, no, I'd never heard of either at the time, but um, Arkansas actually, uh, the capital city there, Little Rock, um, just out of Little Rock is a place called Jacksonville, which uh, has the Air Force base there. Little Rock Air Force Base. It's the largest C-130 Hercules base on the planet. Wow. Um, and at the time, I think uh, the RAF here had 24 Hercules. Well, they had like 55 on one base. And and even to this day, um, 
you know, you can't really escape. If you live in Arkansas, uh, aviation is a really big part of the culture there because you, they do a lot of training there and you see columns of C-130s every day um, just going all around the sky. It's amazing. Um, so I did my exchange student uh, time there, came home and um, hadn't really thought that much about flying, actually. I was, I was pretty wired to, to um, go back to the States. I'd made a lot of friends there and had some uh, ideas about going to college. Um, anyway, in between that, somehow I went down to Moorabbin Airport and took some flying lessons at the long-since-departed Shut Flying Academy and uh, just sort of got into it then. Well, uh, I ended up going back to the States and living with that family and um, we ended up... Uh, they, they had offered, offered actually to sponsor me through college if that's what I really wanted to do with the proviso that, you know, when I you know became a brain surgeon or whatever, I guess, I'd, I'd be rich <laughs> and pay them back. Um, yeah, so much for that. But uh, I said, well, you know, I actually don't want to go to college. You might have started learning to fly. And, um, uh, you know, I'd looked at maybe doing like the – there was an ANSET, I think, training scheme at the time, uh, which which I was actually – I was actually on the cusp of signing up to do. And uh, I think it was ANSET. Uh, and um, you know, they, they sort of ended up going under. Uh, but people were signing up under huge amounts of debt and, and you, you were hearing stories of people with no accommodation and, and living up there and living in tents on the airfield and all this sort of stuff. And uh, I think my father at the time said, well, you know, uh, you got to think of, of the interest rates at that time. Did you really want to take a $35,000 deferred loan at those interest rates? And Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, you know, as, a, as an 18-year-old, probably didn't make much sense to me at the time. But anyway, I, I never went through with that. But I ended up going back to the States and instead of them sponsoring me through um, college, they sponsored me through uh, flight training. So we ended up buying a Cessna. Um, for the princely sum of twenty-two thousand US dollars, and we spent about half that much again upgrading to what was then state of the art. So, um, you know, it was a, it was a, a really nice uh, Cessna. It had a cruise prop on it, so it, it, it just it was a really nice plane. And, and I flew just about all of my flying time has been in that aircraft, actually. Mm, wow. Uh, so yeah, went on over there, did my private, commercial, and um, my instrument rating there, and. Uh, just as I got all of those, I had to come back to Australia, and that's pretty much where it ended, really, because um, the uh, the then Civil Aviation Authority uh, wouldn't recognise most of those ratings, so they gave me an unrestricted private pilot's licence. Um, yeah, shut up, Grant. And um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I did I, I did want to put in about uh, um, this then CAA not agreeing with Class Bravo transitions. Oh yeah, well we might talk about that. No, we won't. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, things like um, it was actually my my night hours that they didn't recognise that really hurt me because over in the US, like part of their syllabus, even for private, is you must be able to fly cross country at night. Um, and you know, over here it's a separate rating. And you know, we won't go into my thoughts on that. But if you listen to Plane Crazy, you'll know what they are. But um, yeah, in the end, I and you know, I, I suppose I was a very young man then. I was younger then than my son is now, and. You know, you, you, you come back and you think you're bulletproof and look how clever I am and how dare they not recognise, uh, you know, what I'm doing. I'm going to be an airline pilot and all that. You know, that's the way you think when you just – I was just a kid, you know. Um, and, and, you know, it, it just didn't work out. And life ended up taking a different direction. And I, I kept my uh, private flying going for a year or two and then I got quite jaded with it, to be honest, and just walked away. And I actually didn't fly for about 13 years, probably actually until I met Grant. And we started uh, – getting back into podcasting and, and, and having a lot of um, experiences that way. Um, but I would say about aviation, like it never leaves you. Like even in all those intervening years when I wasn't flying, uh, you know, the old the old uh, thing about, you know, once you've tasted flight, you'll always be looking skyward. Well, that, that is true. And, you know, that fascination with flight has never really left me. Um, 
you know, and, and career-wise, well, okay, that, that career path didn't work out for me, but, you know, I've, I've ended up in a career path that, to be honest, uh, I'm probably better at anyway and, and have made a pretty good living out of it. So um, these days I spend more time talking about aviation in forums like this and, um, you know, it's, it, it's, been a, it's been a fantastic adventure. And I think something that this podcast has taught me is, um, you know, there's so many different routes you can take. You don't really necessarily need to be in the sky all the time to be involved in the scene and the aviation industry. So. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. And, and you know, this, um, you know, we, we've, we've, you know, if people have listened to our work over the years, it's become about storytelling and telling other people's stories. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I hardly fly at all these days, but. Uh, We're trying to fix that. Yeah, uh, you know that'll that'll change at some point, but um, you know it, it's been it's been it's been a real journey uh, and, and a lot of fun. And you know, if I I don't even mourn the fact that I didn't make a career out of it. Now, I mean, I was I was quite bitter about it at the time, but you know, you, you come to, you come to get a bit older and you realise that um, looking back and being bitter about it's just wasted energy, isn't it? I mean, it's not going to change anything. And in the meantime, I've had opportunities uh, through the podcast that. Grant and I just sort of stumbled in together to to um, to have some wonderful experiences and meet some people who I never thought I would meet, and you know some of the people we've interviewed and some of the experiences that we've had uh, uh, have been wonderful and and all around aviation. So you know, I mean, I work in the railways, I drive locomotives. To be honest, I'm a better locomotive driver than I ever was a pilot, but um, that doesn't mean that I still don't love uh, flying and love aviation. And uh, yeah, if anybody ever wants to give me a ride in their plane, you know, look me up. Sounds good. So, what's life like in two D now that you're a train driver? Oh, you know, it's it's good. The the, the interesting thing about uh, going into the railways, and I've been doing that a long time now, is um, you know one of the things with aviation is it's an industry where you are always paying. If if you want to do it uh, for a career, then you are you're basically paying to buy yourself a job, and you're always shelling out a lot of money. Um, contrast that with the with the railways. And that's not a criticism of the industry necessarily. That's just the way that it is in that industry. Uh, in my industry, obviously, you get selected, you come in, and they pay you to learn it. And, um, you, know, you know, everyone says, oh, gee, you're a train driver, you must be rich. Oh, I'm not rich, I wish I was. But, yeah, it is a comfortable living. And uh, it's a fun job. I love it. You know, it's a great job. Hey, can it's... you buy me and Grant planes, please? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you boys can take a number. Right? <laughs> well, the, the worst bit was I'd, I'd be slaving away in a warehouse in Richmond where um, we had the office and sometimes stored some balloons. And Steve would be doing on-job training with Metro. And I would get this photo. Someone else is driving. But suddenly this photo would materialize on my phone of... Um, Steve's view of the world, shall we say, and and, and it would just be, you know, oh, I'm working hard today. And, oh, look, but, but uh, being know, a train I'm driving like, instructor is strenuous work, Grant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's not like a flight instructor where people have the opportunity to kill you in three dimensions. They just have the opportunity to, to you know, go too fast for a signal or something. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I would say, Chris, that you could do train driving in 3D once. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's not happening again, and your career uh, promptly ends. After no, that. yeah, no, no. Train, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, train driving is is it's a great job, and and I really enjoy it. So, um, you know, life is just, you know, life sometimes doesn't take the path that you hope it does. But um, you know, for me, it worked out, and I actually walked away from the railways uh, for a year and tried something else. And um, as soon as I left the railways, I thought, gee, I actually this is a mistake. And uh, so I'm very grateful that I've got the opportunity to come back into it. So, um, and I'll be very happy to fly privately, you know, as uh, life goes on. Totally. So, on to plane crazy down under. Oh, uh, yes. 
when did you start the podcast and what inspired you to venture <sighs> into the world of podcasting? Well, there's a story. Uh, well, I'm just looking over at the screen of my other computer here in my studio and it was, it was uh, July, July, two, th- July 2009. Did, correct. Gee, you had to look at your That's computer you, for that? You're both meant to say it in unison together okay. and, and be like, <laughs> you know, finish each other's sentences. sentences. Yes. Yeah. I'm, a little, I'm a little shocked that Steve actually had to look over at, uh, at a screen to confirm the date. I mean, come on, man. It's embedded in our brains. <laughs> About that a million years later. It's like forgetting an anniversary or something. <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> yeah. So um, along came podcasting and... Um, you know, I had uh, I've been fascinated with uh, talk radio because uh, basically I'm a very boring person, but I, <laughs> I uh, I've been fascinated with uh, talk radio for a long time, and I'd I'd wanted to I've always wanted to uh, do some some work in radio and news reading, and I remember writing to uh, the station manager here at uh, a big talk station here in Melbourne, three AW, in about two thousand and three, and saying should I go to a radio school? I'd love to do this. And he wrote back and said, you know what? I've never hired anybody from a radio school. Why don't you uh, try community radio? So I, I hummed and hard about that for another three or four years. And uh, in the meantime, about that time, uh, this new phenomenon called podcasting sort of popped up. And so I started listening to, uh, you know, uh, mainly technology sort of shows and, and nerdy stuff like that, some news radio, and then aviation. Oh, there's aviation podcasts. Well, um, the granddaddy of them all is um, uncontrolled airspace, which is still going, and you know um, I got into listening to that and and several others, and uh, then along came another one called the Airplane Geeks, and the thing about the Airplane Geeks is that they encouraged people to interact, which is another great thing about podcasting. You can have that real relationship with your community that perhaps you can't have so much in radio, and. So I started sending them articles, and at that time it wasn't even links to articles back then. It was just um, screenshots or, you know, photo- photographs of articles. And it was all to say, look, you know, a lot of these shows are US-based, <clears throat> and whilst I have a, an affinity with uh, the US aviation community, you know, because most of my flying has been done over there, but um, I was like, well, here's how we do things over here. And uh, they thought they started reading them out, much to my surprise. And um, in the meantime, uh, this 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 other guy who I'd never heard of, um, with this uh, this Twitter handle called Falcon One Two Four, starts doing the same. And so we were both doing it for a while. And then Courtney Miller, who was running that show at the time, said to us, "Well, or they said to me, why don't you record it?" So I was like, huh, "I can do that." So I did that and started recording it, and then Grant started doing the same, and I just got in contact, I think through Twitter, Grant, it must have been. Uh, we we actually got in contact at uh, the Bistro, Royal Victorian Aero Club uh, Bistro on uh, Moorabbin Airport when yeah. uh, another friend of ours, now become a friend, Stephen Pam, um, says, hey, let's do a, a, a meet-up. Yeah. Yep. Which was the common thing you do, get some photos and go, hey, we're the Australian listeners from Melbourne to whatever podcast. And so we'd had a nice lunch and, and Stephen Pam being the photo guy is like, hey, got to get a photo for this. So he's setting up his um, tripod and getting the right photo uh, of us in front of the Moorabbin Tower. And Steve and I are just sort of standing there and you know, waiting for it. And Steve says, you know, we should, we should join forces and, and um, you know, produce something together for, for this Australia desk thing that uh, the airplane geeks are on about. And I went, yeah, sounds good. What do we need? Let's do it. And next thing you know, we're hooking up laptops and using this thing called Skype and um, recording. And we were doing the Australia Desk, which you can actually find. I think we've still got AustraliaDesk.net or something, is that? Yeah, we do. We do. AustraliaDesk.net. Yeah. 
Yeah, so if you go to australiadesk.net, um, I have been slowly <laughs> loading the entire back catalogue of every Australia Desk we've ever done. Um, I've got most of the, oh, the cool. current ones and a lot of the original ones that I'm working my way towards in the middle. But uh, So you can go back and, and just listen because some... Yeah, eventually Australia, the um, Australia discs were getting too long and we went, we should make a podcast out of this. So PCDU was born in July 2009 after we'd done a, about two months worth or so of Australia discs. And um, yeah, it started just as the extended mix of what we cut down to make the Australia disc and then grew its own life. What kind of content were you doing on Australia disc? News. News, yeah, just basically. Yeah, like latest uh, aviation stuff. and Observations yeah, so, on the news. <laughs> airlines and military, airlines and military yeah. mostly, because that's the sort of stuff that was in the newspapers, and we would just find articles there. Or you know, um, Grant's uh, Grant's a bit ahead of me in the in the in the geek curve, so he would say, "Oh, we can do links to that." I'm like, oh, "Yeah, we could do that." So yeah, that that's how it happened. And and there came a point with PCDU where we decided to, you know, change change it so that, you know, the 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 Ausdesk report was different. Because you know what the airplane geeks do on their show is, you know, it's it's focused. It's got a slightly different focus generally, um, and we wanted to sort of take it away and, and, and make PCDU more about you know um, storytelling in the Australian uh, and and a lot more and a bit of GA stuff in there too, which a lot of the shows. Um, well, that's probably a bit unfair. Some of the shows uh, specialise in airlines and stuff, and we wanted to sort of you know mix it around because the industry here is a lot smaller. Um, so you know the, you've sort of got to merge a lot more topics together. I feel so. And this was 11 years ago when the world was a bit different. And, yeah, Steve was, was saying he wanted to make an audio magazine and was wanting quality stuff, not just quality content but quality audio as well because we've all had that where you're listening to a bunch of hollow voices with buffering dropouts and things like that and and you're gritting your teeth because you're trying to listen to, for that content but it's, it's sort of like trying to proofread a document which has got grammar and typos all through it and for some of us that's like fingernails down a blackboard. <laughs> so Steve yeah. was was right from the start trying to drive towards quality and getting our gear better and and it's yeah snowballed from there. Totally, I, I think towards the end the yeah, quality sounded awesome. Uh, oh yeah, never do most, not listen to most the part. First, it sounded do not listen to the first five <laughs> or six episodes. Do not air. no 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 avoid them. I should mention to the listeners that um, you know, Grant and I are pretty proud of our mics. We're looking at Chris on the screen here with his fantastic... What is that mic? I have mic in there already. Sure, SM7B. That's an SM7B. Okay. <laughs> Let me just write that. And I'm using a Rode Procaster while Steve's back in the old days. I'm using the uh, Heil PR40, which uh, yes, my good, close, personal friend, Leo Laporte, recommended. Anyway. Yeah, 11 years ago. <laughs> 11 years ago. <laughs> Well, this is the uh, Michael Jackson Thriller vocal mic, the SM7B. Ooh. So that's Ooh. why I sound like Michael Jackson. All <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, I, I think there comes a point where it becomes just about the the production. And you know, I, I saw a stat the other day. There's like a million and a half different podcast titles around the world now. Mm, and you wow. know, uh, you know, we can do. It's probably a discussion for for uh, another time. But I mean, you know, uh, people oh, I'll make a podcast and they just sit down and use cheap gear just like we did at the start but we really wanted to make this i really wanted to make pcdu sound like a radio show when we started uh, getting some people sponsoring the show we were we were running commercials and making it sound just like a radio show that's how i wanted it to sound totally yeah and yeah it was i mean you got to remember 11 years ago uh the very first podcast i ever listened to was in 99 2000 um the it website slash dot dot org um bunch of geeks 
doing stuff. It was news. It's still around. I still look, read the feed from it now, and it's news for nerds, stuff that matters. And they started doing this audio thing, and you just download it and listen to it on your computer. And it was called Geeks in Space, and it was hilarious stuff. It was good fun, and that was that was happening even before Adam Curry came out as the Podfather. He just made it a bit more popular. But this was back in two thousand, early two thousand, and then um, yeah, two thousand and five, two thousand and seven was where the aviation ones were starting. You had um, Joe's Come Fly with Me. Um, you know some of the ones that have long gone the the student pilot podcast um the pilot cast uh, a lot of these guys are still around i was just caught up with a few of them at oshkosh last year um uh, which was great to say hi again but uh yeah and that's what all led and these were early days and it was all about wow this is new and and now as as steve's saying everyone's doing it it's, it's like when we got the software for desktop publishing and then web pages and it went from being mystique to being now anyone can because we've all got the tools totally yeah. and just because you got it should you i mean some podcasts are the equivalent of those newsletters we used to see back in the early days of desktop publishing with 28 fonts per page uh, <laughs> you know websites with Clip flashing art. crap on it you know <laughs> yeah. uh, all that stuff and 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 you know i mean good on everyone for trying but if you're going to try to do a podcast, you might want to just do a little bit more thinking about what you're trying to do and all that. Um, you know, 10 out They're of 10. They're referring forever. to me here. They're like... <laughs> uh, we were hoping you wouldn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to be subtle. That is not true. We are seriously impressed, Chris, with the work you've done. It sounds great. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah right from the start, that. mate. Um, the sound's been great. The content's been fantastic. Um, and, and, and yet I'm still avoiding going back and listening to the earlier... Th- Episode, oh so. yeah! Look, I, I have to listen to some things when I'm loading up the Australia desks on the on the um, on the website, and there's a lot of twitching goes on, and you're listening to yourself mm-hmm. saying all these stupid things. And yeah, I'm still saying stupid things today, but at least I've learned a little bit more about how to be stupid, perhaps. But well, you you're, know. Getting, you're getting you're getting paid for it now, so it's all right. Oh yeah, that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> purposefully stupid then <laughs> yeah <woo-hoo. laughs> so you're talking about audio quality what were some of the challenging aspects of starting and running the podcast over the years did you find you hit any snags or you know yeah snags yeah lots of snags <laughs> more snags like, than, what, a, than a bunning sausage sizzle or democracy sausages <laughs> yeah well one of the reasons i mean grant and i grant and i run a business now where we produce uh, uh podcasts for um a lot of other organizations now and we we, we you know running quite a, a good business out doing that and but one of the reasons that we know what we're doing i mean i'm not an audio engineer but we we have learned through bitter experience, you know. <laughs> We've made and, – and, you know, if you listen back to Playing Crazy Down Under right from the very start and listen to it right through, um, it, it, you know, <laughs> it, it, if you take away the content and listen to the way it's produced is what I'm getting right. at. Like, it's been a journey. <laughs> it's been a journey of, of learning. So we've made every mistake. And, yeah. you know, I, um, you, you know, even if Twice. I listen to the way – if I listen to the way I process that audio back then, I wouldn't do that now. So, we, we you know, it's mm. always just a, a constant learning thing. So, for us, uh, technology, getting decent microphones, uh, we didn't have that at the start. Uh, and bandwidth. I mean, Skype, which is what everybody used at the time, you know, I wouldn't use Skype necessarily now. Um, but we had – so much trouble with Skype and guests would drop out or I'd be talking and I'd throw to Grant and there'd be just dead air because he, his line had dropped out and he wouldn't realise it all vice versa. He's frozen like this. Yeah. <laughs> even, even without video. It was, it was me pulling a face. It was just all, it was just all audio or you'd get somebody on a mobile and 
I mean, one of our episodes, it's got great content. It's three flight attendants from the 70s, the 90s, and the 2000s. And they're oh, doing cool. a compare and contrast. And I mean, yes, my sister's one of the one of the three, but um, from from the '90s. But um, you know, it was Janine was talking about what it was like to wear a gold lame suit and do a full dinner service on a flight between Brisbane and Port Moresby, you know, and, <laughs> and, and the weigh-ins and the look. And and Tanya, my sister, was talking about the and all this stuff. But all three of them were on telephones, and Steve's pulling his hair out trying to make the audio as good as possible. And it was one we had to release because the content was so gold, but the audio was not up to our normal standard even back then. Yeah. yeah so totally. I think, you know, and then some, sometimes uh, the things that matter to me producing the show, nobody would really even know about, you know, and I used to fanatically de-breath everything and take out crutch words like ums and ahs. And I, you know, I don't really bother that now because all that stuff is part of normal human speech. And after a while, it burns you out if you spend so much time worrying about that stuff. Everybody's got to breathe occasionally. Occasionally, even when we're recording, I'll let Grant take a breath. And, uh, not now. And, oh, and, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, we, it's, just, it's just been a learning uh, process for us. But, um, you know, these days, uh, you know, the, the, the technology has evolved and, um, you know, mixes have evolved. Uh, Audacity you know, filters. Like, sorry, audition filters. And yeah, it's amazing. So um, you know, it's it's a lot easier, and even even hosting podcasts, the systems that people use now to host podcasts are so much easier now than what it was ten years ago. Oh, I used to have to hand cut half the HTML for some of the stuff, and then you know, Whoa, then there's really? WordPress and plugins, and the plugins were dodgy, and then the plugins were okay, and then now you've got to maintain a WordPress site, and then oh, but now you got Wooshka. Ooh, that's kind of cool, and other tools like that, you know. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Yeah, Wooshka's great. That's what I'm hosting this show on. So. Yeah, yep. we're, we're doing uh, commercial out. stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but even bigger shout out for Squadcast. Yeah, totally. That's also an amazing tool. Yeah. I think everyone should check out if you're thinking of starting a podcast and doing interviews online. Yeah. That's what not, we're using. I not started cheap. using it a couple of weeks ago. It's not cheap, but you know. It's not free, yeah. but it's bloody good. <laughs> it is, yeah. Yep. It's great. So... In terms of uh, beyond the technical and you know audio quality and stuff, what's the secret to interviewing people and creating great content and success in this aviation podcasting business? I'm asking for a friend. Oh, geez, I was about to say, there's this guy done this up and away show. <laughs> Ask him. Uh, now, the thing is with aviation, um, it is a is it it can be a bit of an ego driven. Uh, industry and there are a lot of big egos in the industry so those of us who like to consider we don't have them you, you've got to get over the imposter syndrome for a start but you've got to be you know am I worthy of asking and I'll tell you about my Matt Hall story if you like um, I'll tell you that in a minute but it you need to be across your subject matter so you need to be interested in it if you are interviewing people from us from a you know on a subject that you're not across you'll always be sort of you know, um, or uh, and uh, but if you're into it and you're into aviation like Grant and I are, you know, then questions just seem to flow, um, and it's making the guests feel comfortable. It's making the guests feel comfortable. Uh, Grant, Grant, you can tell a Brendan Nelson story in a minute, but um, <laughs> so for example, Matt Hall. Now he was the first guy that I ever interviewed. Now Matt's only a couple of months younger than me, and I looked at his CV, um, you know, as we were going to go into this interview. And yeah, I, I was nervous. I mean, I was looking at him thinking, well, look at this guy and look at all the things he's done. And oh, I'm just a train driver from Cranbourne, you know, what? Oh, I'm not worthy of asking him these things, you know. He was so laid back and he made it easy for us. 
and we weren't there to do an interview, um, you know, like, like a mainstream sort of, if you're doing a mainstream interview, people are always on edge because they know it's going live to air potentially. Is there going to be a gotcha question? We're not into any of that sort of stuff. We just want to, we just want you to tell your story, you know? And yeah, I was extremely nervous, but at the end of that <laughs> interview, it, he made it, he was so laid back about it. And if there was none of this chest thumping stuff, look at how good I am, you know? Uh, he was just there to tell a story and, 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 you know, we've, I've come to know Matt quite well these days and, um, He's been really generous to us over the years, so we're really grateful for that. So I think that's the key to it is just being enthusiastic about your subject, knowing the material in advance, uh, maybe having a few basic outline questions. I don't generally type specific questions down because you might ask me a question and I might give you an answer and that might give you an idea. Fantastic. That's going to go off in a whole different direction. So you might just make a quick note of that and maybe the interview won't go in the direction that you thought it might. And that's okay. That said, we did play the um, Wayne, you know, Wayne's World. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. As oh. before, <laughs> I was jumping at the end. Uh, and it, but you know, like if you look through that journey, I've interviewed the chief of the air force. We've interviewed the deputy prime minister wow. a few times. Yeah. Uh, we, we've spoken to heads of industry. You know, uh, aerobatic pilots, fighter pilots. All these people we've spoken to who could, if they wanted to, sat there and really just made you feel, you know. Oh, uh, like you're you're not worthy of their time, but but if you make someone feel relaxed and and, and realise that this is not that type of interview, you know it's it's going to be one where you can just have a bit of a chat. Um, and I think the other thing that makes PCDU work too is that Grant and I are, are very different people, so we have different life experiences. Um, you know, I, I play the role of the uh, quite well actually of the uh, you know the serious grumpy conservative, whereas Grant is the free flowing unreconstructed hippie. It just seems to work, <laughs> but it really works, and I think that's one of the reasons that PCDU did work because we could approach things from different angles like that, and um, you know uh, things that interest Grant, um, you know, might not interest me so much, and vice versa. <laughs> A certain um, Australian political party at the time. <laughs> 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 oh yeah, we we were doing a, a, a pre-election episode for Australians to understand the party's views on aviation, and yeah, that was when we got you know senior leaders from both parties, and um, I happened to have some connections to not Fiona Patton, but um, it was from, Lee Rhiannon. Yeah, oh, no, that was the Greens, but uh, yeah, we did did I, I sent an email out and and that was the thing we got Matt because I sent an email out and said hey do you want to come on and it was at the time when he was wanting um, publicity for his for his um you know Red Bull stuff and so he was mm. he was ha- quite happy to come on with a bunch of guys who had almost no track record but by the time we got to here we had I, I actually had a, a sheet drawn up which said it was about us and it was a pdf with color and it had all sorts of stuff on it about our um history uh what we'd already done who had already been on and established our credibility. We weren't just a bunch of kids with microphones. You know, we we actually had a bit of a pedigree happening because we'd built and done our chops. And mm. that, on a side note, that was what helped us get um, a team of like five into Avalon a few times. Um, the first time it was just a couple of us um, as media. But then the next time we went to go, I was able to say, hey, because of what we did last time, this is what the, all the publicity you got. This is what we put out. And here's all out what we've done since. And we had some runs on the board with Lorene at the time who was doing the media. So she got us in. And because we had, we built that credibility and I put sheets together to explain it and people could reference it. And so when I went out to politicians, we we got them, including the one that Steve probably wishes we never had. But I tell you what, it got a lot of hits. 
Um, Fiona Patton at the time, they called their party the Australian Sex Party because um, as Don Chip was <laughs> yeah, dying, right. they were around his deathbed and he said, you know, the because um, their group had the keeping the bastards honest type thing was their line. And he said, you need a name that people are going to remember. And unfortunately, I think the name they chose probably turned off a few people who might have voted for them but weren't quite willing. Um, I, I was kind of very interested in their um, lightweight but effective government, not over the top, not too light. Um, approach and um, had contact with the guy doing their um, their transport policies who flew fixed wing and, and helicopters out of Moorabbin. And so approached them about doing it. They put me in touch with him. We do this episode where we don't just have him. We also have uh, one of their Senate members who also was a captain on um, Dash 8s flying in the north up to yeah, various wow. areas. And he told us the most amazing story about how he managed to pay his... Um, his way through um, flight school, he was a porn star in Canberra. And he said he's had an interview for one of his jobs and he's got the chief pilot, he's got the, the HR and all these people. There's three guys on the other side of the table interviewing and they finally came to the end and said, got one last question. Were you or were you not Melbourne, which was his name in the porn industry? And he's going, shit, do I tell them the truth or not? And he finally comes through and goes, yeah, that was me. And they go, oh, Brilliant, brilliant. And they're shaking his hand. They're like, oh, man, we never thought we'd ever meet you and all this kind of stuff. And, yeah, yeah uh, and that was not the reason he got the job. It's because he was a good pilot. But, you know, all these kind of things. And I think Steve was having a family emergency at the time. So I get this message, I've got to go. It's all yours. So I was just running the interview and he finally came back on for the end. But, yes. yeah, that, that was more me pushing it to get that one in. And I tell you what, there's nothing quite like the words Australian Sex Party to get a lot of hits on the internet of people going, why am I coming to an aviation show? Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's so it's, yes. it's like have your be willing to go out and put your face out there and be willing to take a step. Um, I, I thought let's give this a go and we got Matt Hall. And that Matt really helped us a lot. He is He's someone we've both had beers with. Steve's done some emceeing for some of his events. I've done um, done audio with him. Um, I, I do commentary at air shows that he's at, all this kind of stuff. So I catch up quite a bit. And he and most of the other guys in aviation, 99% of the people in aviation are really nice, willing to chat people. And still haven't had that, still haven't had that flight in the MX, uh, Maddie. If you're listening, just uh, yeah, I've got to lose about forty <laughs> kilos to get that. Um, oh, that, oh, that, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I, I did get a flight in with Dodley in one of his aircraft, and um, I was supposed to go up and throw it all around the sky because the year before I had just done that with another friend, but I hadn't done much flying and I couldn't do more than three or four G. I was heartbroken. I was supposed to go pull insane Gs, and it just didn't work. I'll tell you one of the other things um, that we had to learn early on too is that not everybody will love you. And yep. um, you've got to be prepared to, if you're going to put yourself out there in the in the public realm and it, it hurts the first few times is uh, some people will take great umbrage to what you're doing. And, um, you know, we, we've had that experience too, like who, who you think you are. And particularly uh, when we were covering sensitive issues, like for example, when... Um, when that Qantas A380, when that engine let go about 10 or 12 years ago oh, yeah. over yeah. Singapore. And uh, we we did one of what turned out to be one of my favourite episodes ever where we interviewed a senior check and training captain from Qantas who, whilst he, you know, I mean, he, he couldn't talk in specifics about the incident, but, hey, this is what you would expect to see in this situation. And it was absolutely fascinating. And then we had a guy in from the Lamies Union and politicians, and I can't remember who, but uh, we had people ringing up uh, we had some people emailing us, um, abusing us, 
or how dare you interview that person and who do you think you are and we've taken great umbrage and I'm like you know that sort of stuff can hurt if you let it get to you mm. and and some and, and it, it consumed it, well I can't speak for Grant but it consumed me for for quite some time um, until you sort of realise well you know if if you don't like it guys make your own podcast you know yeah exactly but what that did what that did teach us one one great we probably learnt this lesson a bit earlier than that was um, if you're not an expert on the subject at hand don't pretend to be but get people on who are experts. Like, you know, um, I know how to fly a Cessna 172 reasonably well. I don't know how to fly a Boeing 747, so I'm not going to sit here and wax lyrical about it, but I might get you on who's a who's a Qantas captain who's flown them. And, He's not talking about me either. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> any, any of you Qantas guys out there. Um, but, you know, you know what I mean. You can get someone on who, who does know, and, and you, could, you can think of questions to ask them and do a bit of research on that or, you know... Um, and because we're into aviation, you know, you can you can sort of ask it from a layman's term. Tell us about that, and let them do the talking. Um, and one of the good things about podcasting is there's no time limit. You can you can talk away, and we can edit it later if you want to. And you give them the flexibility and the freedom to do that. And that's that's one of the things we learned. And I think it made, I think some of that criticism that we were caught from time to time actually helped us make the show better over time. Because uh, you know, we did learn of, from it. We did learn from it, yeah, absolutely, yeah. and uh, so yeah, you've got to be prepared to cop that sometimes. Some people just don't just don't like you, and you know what? Go out and make your own show if you don't like us. But here's here's part of the fun of it, though, as um, Steve alluded to before, was the Dr. Brendan Nelson. Um, I'm like hanging with him. We've just we're at Avalon. Um, one of the keynotes is just given out, and Steve goes, "Oh, Brendan Nelson, he's over there." I'm like, oh yeah, kind of yeah. Oh, I'm going back, what, 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 putting it all together in my head. Absolutely no planning. Steve goes and says hi, and would he be willing to have a chat with us um, for an aviation show? And he goes, yeah, yeah, just give me a couple of minutes. He does his other things, and he comes over to us, and he's all formal and you know ready to do mainstream media. And oh god, like Steve said, <laughs> I'm going to get ambushed and all that. And I'm I'm struggling to think what we're going to say. Um, all this kind of stuff. No planning, no prep, no nothing. Wow. Running chat to him and I just open up and say, well, Dr. Brendan Nelson, great to have you on the show. And I just want you to know we're both extremely jealous of you because you've had a ride in an F-18F Super Hornet. And he goes, actually, guys, I've had two rides. And I'm like, that's it. We can't be friends. Sorry. And yeah. it broke the ice. It was yep. absolutely that's brilliant. Awesome. We we just spoke about his two flights because one was off a carrier. Whoa. And him having a background in ophthalmology, he said his biggest worry about it was the impact of a carrier launch and landing on his eyeballs. And what that would do for them, and but we talked about flying in Super Hornets and what that was like. Um, I didn't mention that I remember him going up in it because I was working ground as a volunteer when he had that flight in um, at Avalon many years before, and the press wanted to do so many photo ops. We, they had it on the, the where the Warbird tarmac is. There's a very narrow piece of tarmac to get out, so no one could come come in. And we had five jets sitting out on the taxiway and a jet star wanting to go while they were doing the photo op. It uh, got interesting. But uh, yeah, and that, so we just went out there and launched into it and it was just start with a bit of fun. It broke the ice and we had a great chat uh, then about the C-17s and the Supers. Yeah, because uh, awesome. polit politicians, particularly um, like Brendan Nelson, had been the defence minister and he's held senior roles. All these guys are media trained. Mm. Um, so it was quite funny uh, because, yeah, like Grant says, he, oh, it's media, okay. And we had, we were doing, uh, we had video and all that sort of stuff at that time. Slick back the hair, Brendan Nelson, made sure the tie was perfect. But as soon as Grant, as soon as Grant popped that question, you could just see him shift gear. Oh, okay, it's not that type of interview. I think it's good to break that down, hey, and like show them that it's kind of not the same thing as you would expect on, you know, 
ABC or Channel Nine or yeah. you know, any other kind of yeah, mainstream and, media organization. Yeah, and the, that's the other thing too. Um, and with you know, with all due, with all respect to to the mainstream channels, I should say that because I do a bit of news reading work these days. <laughs> so, um, they, they that's not the forum. If you go onto ABC Radio in Melbourne here or to Three AW or to UE, whatever. You don't know who you're talking to. So if you go in there and talk all technical, you're going to lose a lot of people and you've only got two or three minutes. Whereas we say to our guests, come on and talk the jargon because the people listening to this show, it's likely they wouldn't be listening unless they were interested in the subject material. So talk the jargon, talk V-speeds, whatever, because that's what people want to hear. And, you know, you talk to Air Force guys, that would be refreshing for them, for example. I mean, we had a really good relationship with with, uh, Defence Media and I think that was part of it because... That and the fact that we'd always let them review the work uh, because we didn't want them to be unhappy with us, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, you get one or two cool media rides and you think, well, okay, we've got to keep them happy. But <laughs> but no, seriously, it was important to us that they were happy with the work. We didn't want them to think we were out there trying to trap them because that's not what we were out to do. Um, we just wanted we just wanted good stories. And um, not only that, we didn't just want flying stories. We wanted air crew stories, ground crew stories, that type of stuff. And and they and and the RAF the RAF guys they love that they really appreciated it because everyone thinks oh, pilots, okay yeah it's you know obviously that's a big thing about being in the air force but there's a lot of lot obviously that goes around that and and to be able to tell those stories too is it's not only it's a privilege, but um you know it's 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 important to tell those stories. And at, at one Avalon, it was the second one we'd done with Twinkie. Twinkie um was Kath friend um at the time she she was uh the public affairs officer for air combat group and so we'd engaged with her a bit and then we did an avalon together and had a lot of fun and then it was a couple of years and it's the next avalon we've been working with her and um so there's we're working with twinkie we're also working with uh, for the second time with a lady from the usaf media team um, the us air force were there in force so it was both of them we'd worked with them before and kath uh was just saying oh here you go we've got all these you guys go and do it and let me know how it goes uh, and then the lady from the US, we, the first time we'd met her, we did the uh, partway through Avalon, we did a photo opportunity with, of a shake and take of her her and her team, she, her, like her boss and her, and it was basically the US media team, plus a few, Steve and I and a few, a few of the others. I'm handing over a box of like a thing of Tim Tams and we're doing the official shake and take. We're shaking hands while handing over the gift. <laughs> And this photo, the Yanks took the photo, it wound up in embassies and military bases all over the world with the US. Whoa. And that was one of the things that got us hooked up with the US um, embassy because they knew us. We had worked with them and, and they said, oh, we actually got the contact from them saying about this photo going all around the place. And um, so the next next Avalon when she was there again, um, Steve's wife, Kathy, who is an award-winning cook, chef, baker, etc. cetera, um, yeah, a delightful food, um, She's baked some homemade lamingtons. So we bring them in for them and we do another mm-hmm. photo shoot. Yeah. And there's there's the um, the lady we'd been dealing with from the USAF. She'll kill me. I can't remember her name. But she's biting into a lamington at the back as we're doing the shake and take. It was really well done. <laughs> and she says, I know you guys. I trust you. We're out at the um, combat jet tarmac with a couple of F-22 pilots. And she says... And this was after this was the second time the F twenty two was at Avalon, and the first time it was actually flying. The first time it was there, we had Judith Moon from the U.S. Embassy standing just over our shoulder in eye shot of the guys that we were interviewing, a maintainer and a pilot, 
And we'd be asking questions and all that, and she'd shake her head and nod her head and, and all this about what the guys were allowed to say. And at the end of it, Judith said, well, that was one of the best interviews I've, I've seen where you weren't allowed to ask anything you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, we're, by this stage, we've got the lady from the USAF who's worked with us heaps, and she turns to the guys with the F-22 on the tarmac and says, right, you know what you can't say or show? And she turns to us and says, you know what you can't ask? Have fun, guys. Tell me how it goes. And she left. And we had about an hour and a half with these guys just chatting and hanging out and walking right around and looking at everything we were allowed to. And she leaves and you're like, how much for one of these babies and can I take it for a spin? Yeah, we did, that, that line has been used often. <laughs> yeah. Time yeah. to kick the tires, light the fires. There's only one seat, Grant. Yeah, well, you can do it once. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so many good There's memories. an injection seat for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, need to, I, I need to get below 6'2". <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They were fun times. Fun, fun times, those Avalon coverages. We, oh, yeah. we, they were intense, but fun. Uh, I can't wait to get back um, to the next one and hopefully next year. Uh, I've been to a few and, you know, the year's gone by and we missed it this year. Mm. So I'm looking forward to... Well, no, it was, it was always going to be next. Uh, we've missed wing, Wings Over Illawarra, which has been pushed in November ah, next yeah. year. That's Avalon right. is every two years. So because I was, last year was the first time I'd done commentary at Avalon. Ah, so, right, yeah. Yeah, I went from being a volunteer. I went the first time I ever went to an Avalon when I moved to Melbourne. I was a punter and went for a day and loved it. Then I volunteered and was um, volunteer tarmac um, with air ground operations out on the tarmac, telling everything from seven four sevens through to F eighteens down to you know um, the aircraft we normally fly, where to go. And then I wound up. I went um, with a friend, some friends from New Zealand who were doing video, so I helped them out. And then we were doing PCDU for a number of events and. Last year, it's come the full full range, and I'm now doing commentary. And I did commentary for um, for one particular act, and the fame, the fame part was, you know, your first day you're kind of nervous, then you're into the groove, and then on the Saturday, I think it was, I was more nervous than ever because my son, for the first time, was in the crowd listening to me do commentary, and I'm like, oh <laughs> god. I mean, if someone from the audience comes up and says, oh, that was good, or oh man, you know, whatever, that's okay. But when your son, you driving home, is going, oh shit, dad, I counted all these errors, you <laughs> know, it's like, <laughs> but fortunately, <laughs> That'd be like my mum listening, where she's like, yeah, mm, yeah, not so great. Fortunately, yeah, he didn't say that. Gigs that I play as well. So, yeah. yeah, he waited like, till we safely it? got home before he said all that. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Not just before you're about to get on again, or something, yeah. You know, just to throw you a curveball. There's nothing like when you're doing commentary at a major air show and you misname one of the RAF aircraft and you get a text message from hey, contact the defence media. Uh, it's actually called this. Oh yes, of course. I hope nobody <laughs> heard that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he says with the microphone still running. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Correct and move on, boy. Correct and move on. Is this thing on, you know? <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. So do you, do you both have a favourite episode you ended up doing over the years? I know it's a tricky one. I always like asking the, which one was the favourite thing? And oh. everyone's like, it's like picking a child. Yeah. Worse. There's yeah, so many of them. Child. I only have one child. It's easy to pick. Uh, uh, even then we uh, give them shit. Yeah, which one's a favourite? Not you. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Run that Everyone who's a favourite child, step forward. Not you, Smith. Not, you, anyway. not so fast, yeah. Junior. <laughs> I, I have a couple of favourites. The one was that uh, A380 uh, one. Mm. Um, that was one of my favourites. Uh, and the Hercules, the C-130H Hercules <laughs> episode. Did I ever tell you about that time? Well, oh, we'll shut up. Yeah, we'll get to that later. <laughs> Yeah, he was on the flight deck of the uh, C-130, lead C-130H going across Sydney Harbour for the farewell flight. 
information with everyone. Yeah, didn't yeah. rub that in at all. Yeah. <laughs> Nor is flight on the KC um, KC thirty. Uh, well, we can talk about that later if you like. <laughs> but but the, but the one thirty and and because um, you know we got an email from the captain of that flight actually, uh, who's now one of the roulettes still, and uh, he that was actually turns out it was his last flight. And he said, oh, I just love the way you put that together. And, and he, I think, was over in Dubai by this time working for a, a civilian contractor doing something. Um, and, it, you know, it's really cool when people appreciate your work like that because we mm. did put mm. we put a huge amount of effort into making those shows. And um, so I, the other one I really enjoyed doing was the uh, the F-35 one that we did. Mm. Uh, On which was towards the Yeah, which was towards the end of the run and... Um, if we still look at the stats now, we get the email every week about download stats and people are still downloading the show. That is far and away the most downloaded show that we ever did, I think. Um, and so yeah, that, right. those are probably my three favourites if I had to pick them. Yeah, the F-35 one was good because that was where um, we were talking not to pilots or anything but to um, the Air Vice Marshal who was in charge of actually bringing the F-35 capability online and where oh, they were wow. at in terms of training everyone and scaling and planning and all that kind of stuff. We didn't go into, oh, look, it's late, it's over cost or anything. You know, that was sort of mentioned, but we got a bit more into ALICE, the um, Autonomous Logistics Information System, which is a um, Frankenstein hodgepodge, to be blunt, of um, software. It was at the time. I know Lockheed Martin's put a lot of effort into fixing that up. Um, the guys are still having fun with it, but um, it was the brain that you, know, you couldn't dispatch an aircraft if Alice said it wasn't ready you know, and all this kind of stuff. So we actually touched on that kind of thing. So that was good. The F-111, final flights of the F-111, that was good. Um, oh, yeah. One of my favourite planes. Yeah, well, we had a yeah. blast and Steve's probably looking at a photo of the two of us standing behind an F-111. I am, I'm looking at that photo right <laughs> He's now. gazing <laughs> off into the distance. Yeah. How yeah. did you know Wishful. that? <laughs> I think I've been yeah. to your studio at least once. Um, yeah, yeah. But I am I, looking I, at that photo. I think one of my, one of my favourites was the Pitch Black 2014. Um, I applied, we'd worked with um, Eamon a lot um, from the uh, Air Force uh, media team. And so he put on a special for, um, it was Andrew McLaughlin, it, um, who's currently now running um, Australian Defence Business Review. Um, Nigel Pittaway, who's an independent, he's a he's with um, Australian Defence Magazine and also with a number of other magazines that he writes for. Mike Yeo, who um, he's now published a book that I have in my bookcase, uh, and a few other things. So uh, he was there. He's he's been he's an independent um, writing for a number of of aviation and military uh, magazines and online sites. And um, a gentleman whose name eludes me uh, wasn't Obon. He's he's from um, from um, Asia and um, writes um, the Alert Five website, which is really good. Lots of great information on military on the Alert Five site. And little old me. And I'm focusing mostly on getting video as well as audio. And we were right outside the Gable markers during night takeoffs. Um, we were taken around to different um, teams on the airbase at Darwin. We were flown in um, in King Airs twice back and forth to Tyndall on two separate days to interview everyone out there. Uh, we got to put in requests for what we wanted. Unfortunately, I'd been um, over in Perth. I went to Perth for 18 hours, not even, to shoot video for Airbus of the A350 XWB. Because of the videos we shot at Avalon the year before, we got hired by Airbus to go and shoot video of the XWB as it was doing its route proving through Sydney and then later through Perth. 
So on the way back, I, I get into back home at about probably four o'clock in the morning on the Monday, spend the day at home, and the next day I fly up to Darwin, arrive with a bit of a flu, just in time to be told that, oh man, you should have been here this morning. We had lunch with the Thais. And they were interviewing the Thais with the Grippins and all this. And they were invited to have That's lunch cool. with them. And the Thais had their caterers with them. I love Thai food. My parents used to live there. I speak a little of the language. I would have loved it. Missed that. But we got yeah. all around Tyndall. Um, we got all around Darwin and VIP kind, media kind of treatment. We got to do a dusk walk on the Singaporean tarmac in, in Darwin. So there's the sun slowly setting. You're getting beautiful light. I copped a brilliant photo of the sun setting through an F-15 um, canopy, all this kind of stuff. And it was an absolute blast and came back, put together a whole, I think it was almost two hours of audio and included interviews with the um, the guys doing the, uh, like, you know, keeping the dots together for combat. The um, the uh, It's not the Airborne Electronic Warfare guys. Did We did get to go on board and I did interview the guys from the E-7 and we, got, we had to take practically take everything off to go on board that. These days, because of all the upgrades, you've got to have super secret squirrel clearance to even get on board. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you know, we had so many opportunities and I put all that together. Um, Steve and I worked on it and we finalized it and put that out. And we got a lot of good kudos from not just audience, but also people who were involved and other mm. media people saying it was a really good snapshot of the event. And I had an absolute blast. It was, it kind of made up for not getting on a flight on a KC thirty or a C one thirty. So between that and the and the C twenty seven J Spartan flight that I got, and a couple of private jet flights I've had, I, I'm starting to balance out and feel a little better now. Do you have a tally board? Close, yes. but every time we start talking about it, <laughs> yeah. But every time we start talking about it, Nigel Pitaway goes, "Yeah, I've had the Super Hornet. Bugger off." Uh, <laughs> Nigel Pitaway, never heard of him. Anyway, <laughs> that's uh, not true. He's a lovely guy. He's, he's a wonderful guy. He, uh, Nigel, Mike, and I quite often catch up for beers uh, in the pre-COVID times. So we're staying in touch and okay, and hoping once things relax a bit more, we'll be able to catch up for a beer like we used to. Do you unanimously agree on a episode that was the hardest to record or something that you found really full on? Oh, gee, that's... Where do we begin? It, that, Every second one. <laughs> and, uh, uh, first yeah, it was, I, oh my God, Matt Hall. Then it was, uh, then it was, then it was, and there was always a higher bar. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I probably couldn't say, Chris, because, you know, uh, you would hear a two-hour show, which um, we would put... <laughs> several multiples of that time into production um mm. the, you know so the the really long ones where you were taking uh, if you take that Qantas one again as an example um you know it might have taken us from memory a couple of weeks to record that because you had to get and all those people were in high demand at the time um and at the time too trying to explain to people what a podcast these days people know what that is back then they didn't so you know yeah. it's a radio show oh it's a radio show okay we we know what that is so, you know, look, all of them were challenging, not from a bad perspective, but they just take a lot of time to put together. Uh, and I suppose the longer ones obviously became more challenging just because there was more content to put in them. But uh, the ones we did at Avalon, I suppose, uh, yeah, Grant talked about those. When we went and did that in 2011, um, we would go out and collect interviews and then we would go back to the media centre and we would sit there for hours for hours. And in the second time we did it in 2013, um, 
we actually rented a house down that way and the whole team went there. And uh, Anthony Simmons, who was a regular on our show, he spent most of that week sitting in the media centre. We were just going out, doing interviews, uh, collecting the content, taking it back, and poor old Anthony would just sit there for hours editing away. And it was such an it was such an amazing team effort, actually. And there were no podcasters. I don't think there was any... Can I make this claim? I'm going to make this claim. There were no podcasters anywhere on the planet in aviation that did what we did up to that point. Mm. We, we that's, a real, that's a yeah. boast point for us, I think. And uh, you were talking about Lorraine, the uh, the media manager there at uh, Avalon. I think she said to you at one point in 2011, Grant, what's that big guy doing sitting there? He hasn't left the media centre. And and Grant said to her, do you not realise we're doing daily coverage of your air show? And she didn't even know, you know, yeah. because – and now I've, I've, I've had a lot more exposure now to, to mainstream media people and you get to – because their industry is different, they think differently about it. And they don't they, – particularly back then, they didn't understand it. You're seeing a lot of those guys come into into, uh, into podcasting now. But back then, it, it was a new thing. And they, they just looked at us. Uh, probably the funniest thing that one of them – I had a TV reporter say to me one time, we were sitting on that Hercules flight, actually. She's sitting next to me, a Channel 10 reporter. And then, what do you do? Oh, I said, you know, we do a podcast. Oh, so you're a blogger. <laughs> like this. And um, she was looking rather green, so I reached behind me for the sick bag. I said, do you need this? And she threw up into the sick bag. I thought, ha, ha. <laughs> But to her credit, uh, five minutes after that, it was her shot, her turn to go up onto the to flight deck and, and do her piece. Hair perfect, absolutely nailed it. So, you know. But these days I think they sort of take podcasters a bit more seriously. But, yeah, I think that's some of our uh, – for me, that's some of the, the work that I'm most proud of is that we could go in there and pioneer that stuff do aviation-specific focus stuff that's focused directly at the niche, not mainstream stuff. Uh, and you, and you, that's the stuff that I'm most proud of. 2011, 2013, when we went and did that, um, that we could go and get those sponsors that helped us uh, pay mm-hmm. for that. Uh, you know, and even out of even out of um, when we went and did Oshkosh, the first time we did Oshkosh, um, that was that was fully sponsored because people had seen our work and they appreciated the work and they saw some value, I guess, in advertising. Uh, on the work, so and just also helping us out, helping us get there to do it, and you know, like 2013 at, at um, Avalon, as Steve said, we had a team. We had two cars going back and forth, full of people each day. We're in there from as soon as the gates open, before they're open to the public. We're in setting up, getting stuff done. I've been uh, like on the first day, I'm starting to set fill up our dance cards of who's talking to who, when and where, and what we want to get, and working with the different um, defence and, and civilian media reps and things like that. You know, we did a lot of stuff with Airbus because of that. We, we had every day, because we then get back totally stuffed. Pizzas would be on the table, eventually some drinks and eventually a beer at the end. Um, but, you know, we'd go to bed about 2 o'clock, 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning to then wake up again at 5 and do it all again. And we were putting out 30 to 60 minutes of audio every night. Every night that went out. Wow. And three to five minutes of video rushes. Stephen Pam was flat out collating everything he'd been shooting. And I'm standing at one of the um, concession stands to get a drink. And um, a guy guy says, oh, it's a good show, isn't it? I said, oh, I'm loving it. This is so much fun. I really love this stuff. He says, yeah, I can tell. I've been watching your YouTubes. I'm like, what? And he's like, "I, I recognize you because I've been watching you guys produce stuff on YouTube and I've seen you from your videos and I'm starting to listen to your show and you're doing good, you know, all this kind of thing. And it was, I was able to then go back to Lorene and say, here's what we've produced. Here's what we've promoted. We didn't stuff up the C-17 name, by the way, that's a whole different story. Um, and, 
<laughs> we are putting this out and this is the traction we're getting. Yeah, yeah, mainstream media. Um, it's known as a Blowmaster Award now. Um, channel, channel 7, we're interviewing the USAF, uh, well, the um, yeah, from the Americas. The Americans, they, they had their um, reserve team over because um, you know, it's the reservists who mostly fly the um, C-17 for them in air mobility. And so they've got the USAF C-17 there. They're doing a video interview with the lady who is a captain flying the aircraft. And the video comes out and on the screen as she's talking, it doesn't have captain and surname or anything. It's just got her name and it says at the bottom, Blowmaster Pilot. Because despite being given all the paperwork, the URLs, and it would have been two seconds to Google, they said it was the mighty C-17 Blowmaster. That was what, what they called it. That's wild. Yep. And uh, Jennifer Kite read that out as she went into the story. The reporter did it. And yep. that poor pilot, her name's Angela Kimler. I feel very, very sorry for her because she, that's that followed her for a long time very unfairly. And it's, you know, and, and that's that's the kind of thing that really annoys me about mainstream media because, you know, um, it's, 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 you know, it's disrespectful not even to be across your topic like that. Yeah, totally. And, yeah. and when you think about how, think about it this way: every time you're watching the news, which I try to avoid as much as possible these days, but you're watching the news, and you've got somebody up there talking about a topic you know or an event you were at, and you're like, "That's not how it was." That's not right. Yeah, that's not right. Yeah. Think about how often they're getting it wrong on everything else. Then are they right? Is mm. it just your topic they're wrong on? No. And I, I feel really sorry for the guys because in the past, you used to have the um, in the newspaper side of things, the classifieds kept journalism alive classified ads a guy i used to share a house with a bunch of us in brisbane he was running the um, courier mail classifieds and he was able to tell me how much they were earning off the record and how much of that went into the journalism department you know uh, keeping all these people alive and, and doing their job and when the internet came along and took away all those classifieds and you know the trading post and all that shit, never heard of it now tell him he's dreaming and yeah. you know you're now looking at uh these journalism departments who have to make money to stay alive and they've got to get clicks in and they've got to do all this stuff. And there's only five of them to do what 20 used to do. And they have to mm, know definitely. everything about everything. So they know nothing about everything, you know, that kind of thing. And I feel really sorry for them. It's really hard to do proper investigative journalism or specialize these days. You know, the, the, um, uh, Ben Sandilands used to run the um, plane talking blog on, on Crikey legend. He started doing uh, travel transport, uh, journalism back in the tramp steamer days uh, and went into aviation. Lovely guy, knew his stuff, wouldn't take bullshit. And if he, if he, asked, when he asked a question, it was the one that would cut straight to the point and all this kind of stuff. We don't have very many like him anymore. And everyone, everyone says they, they just dream of being half the journalist he was. Mm. So, you know, and that's, that's yeah, continual cuts, I think, to, you know, journalism, you know, even ABC, you see all the yeah. time. Yeah, soundbite media. And, so you can't expect to be creating great content then. No, but it gives us so an opportunity. We rise up as podcasts. Yes, yes. And, and take control. <laughs> Today aviation, tomorrow the world. <laughs> well, I certainly hope we haven't taken over your podcast. That wasn't... <laughs> We're doing a good job at it so far. <laughs> well, that leads me to uh, the question. Oh. So why no more plane crazy? What happened? It, it's, had a, it, it, it had, it's had its day. It had its run. And... Um, uh, you know, there was a time uh, where we, to be honest, it, it wasn't fun anymore. We were, we, we kind of burned out on it for a while. And when we tried, after you'd sort of burn out, and the reason for that was we put so much time and effort into it. We had, 
uh, PCDU running once every two or three weeks. We made an Australia desk for the airplane geeks. We made three, 350 of those, I think. We had the show running on radio. So we, yeah. but, and, and then you, there was a lot of work in that because we had to recut it to fit a radio station format. We were doing segments for other people's shows here and there. And we were so busy that at some point it's, it, it, it uh, and this is another thing we've learned is to keep it fun because it stopped being fun. And, um, and I think that was probably my fault uh, because I was so wired on, I was so OCD about trying to make it sound just perfect all the time. Um, you did create a bit of a rod for your back there. Yeah, yeah. So, but not only that, I think it got to the point where we had spoken to and had so many great adventures and we were starting to think, well, what do we do now, you know? And and it had just had its time. It had just had its time, that's all. Um, and, and life moves on. Steve wasn't driving anymore. He'd become a depot manager, or as I like to call it, the despot manager. Um, and so did some of the staff, I think. But so he, <laughs> you weren't the only one. <laughs> he went into he went into management, and that completely changed Steve's availability to edit and do things. Yeah. I wasn't chasing hot air balloons anymore. I was no longer an operations maintenance manager. Which, while it um, it had its workload and, and a whole lot of things to do, it also I did have flexibility and a bit more time. I was now back in IT. Um, I was a project manager again for IT development with my, uh, an account manager for the Australian Defence Force, uh, which an amazing job, had a lot of fun, and I made the mistake of, of telling the def- writing the report to the Defence Force saying, if you don't replace your project manager on your side of things, this is how everything's going to run off the wheels. And they said, all right, sign the NDA, step above the line and work with us as an above-the-line contractor as if you were a, you know, uh, and a, a civil servant within the defence force. And I went okay, and that was in August 2017, and I've no August 2016 rather. And so yeah, you know, I was getting flat out, so I didn't have a lot of time because I have since wound up running my own company as an above the line contractor, working with aviation, aeronautical information, IT, and defence. And I'm in. I'm just going to add dance music to that too, and then you've got the. Whole oh, I do when I'm working. Oh, I'll be working that. on stuff <laughs> as I'm writing reports. You know, <laughs> the headphones are on. I'm listening to music. You know, uh, I got that also because when I went for the job as a project manager for a defence contractor, I had good IT project management chops. I had good aviation because I'd spend a lot of time in civil, and I, because of the podcast, I had all these contacts in defence, and I knew a number of people, and I knew how it all worked. So I wasn't have to be. I got trained in some of the minute of how defence works, but I already knew a lot of it, and that was because of the podcast. And you know, same for Steve. You've had a lot of opportunities. Yeah, and I think for me too, with the podcasting, like um, I'm really passionate about it. And we, there were other stories I wanted to tell in in other fields, and so I've gone off and done that. I wanted to work in, um, in, and I still, I'd love to work in radio. I'd love to have, I'd love to do talk radio one day. Um, You sort of do. Yeah, and I, I've I've I work for a company called Australian Independent Radio News, so I do I do news reading. Um, I've been in uh, thanks to uh, awesome. I mean, I've been on air at three AW with uh, Tony Merkley, the great man, and um, yeah, it's it's amazing, and it's something that I really want to do. But I just don't want to tell aviation stories, and I, I feel like whatever contribution that we'd hope to make to the industry here, I hope that we've made it, and and we've had people that have come to us and said, you know what. Um, I'd left flying, I've got back into it. Or, you know, we have people who started listening to us when they were kids and and, like this, and we were part of their journey and these guys are now, you know, flying Dash 8s or whatever. That's pretty cool. 
Mm. It's pretty cool to totally, think that, yeah. that like, even if even if an aviation career didn't work out for me, um, if you can make it work for someone else, well, I mean, that, that's really exciting. I, I take I take a, a lot of pride in it, to be honest. Um, and yeah, so so we go off now, and like I said before, Grant and I, we um, we, we were doing a bit of work for Aviation Trader there, making a podcast for them. Um, we've we've tried to we've tried to resurrect the Australia desk a few times. We may still do that occasionally. Uh, we pop up occasionally and stir them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but we are also, um, you know, we we work uh, we we produce the Australian Defence Magazine uh, podcast for those guys, uh, and we work uh, we do some other work for that media group as well. Uh, and we have several other clients. I work with some radio people that uh, I used to listen to uh, in the eighties. So it, it's it's very cool to be able to produce content for those guys. Um, so even though the PCDU journey may have finished, the, the podcasting journey goes on. The legend lives on. <laughs> well, hey, the long tail of the internet, as long as I keep paying the hosting fees, it's going to be up there. And it's going to be there. Yeah, That's it. I That's intend it. to keep That's doing it. that. Well, I, I got on a way after your final episode, so, you know, and I was digging back through the back catalogue and go, and listening, you know. So, yeah, yeah. it's, um yeah, people, you know, whether or not you're releasing an episode every week, people are still listening and... Mm. Becoming new listeners and following the journey anyway. Oh, you yeah. can see, you can see, cool. suddenly yep. see every single episode gets downloaded, and you're like, ah, someone's just discovered us, the poor bastards. Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> no, it's it's amazing, but and it, you know, we've been able to do, you know, let's face it, you just had Kathy Mexted on the show. We're the ones that made her famous. Oh, Are we granted? Oh, oh <laughs> dude, duck cover, duck. <laughs> I, I, um, uh, if this was going live, I was I was going to say I'd just wait for my phone or your phone to <laughs> ring. <laughs> no, you'd wait for the sound of the sound barrier as Kathy runs across Melbourne to attack Steve. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, the really cool thing about uh, this whole journey is that we've all become such great friends. And in the aviation mm, community, I'd, totally, encourage yeah. you, I'd encourage you, Chris, if you haven't already, to engage with other aviation podcasters around the world because it's very collaborative. Yep. But we've mm. all become great friends. And, um, you know, Kathy's a great example. Grant, my... my uh, you know, when we started this, my kids were just kids. Well, my daughter yep. was married this year. Uh, Grant was the MC at the reception, and Kathy Maxted did all the photography. And yep. wow. uh, so awesome. it's it's kind of family like that. It's it, yep. that's just the way it is, you know. And uh, I remember Grant and I doing a. Uh, remember we did that Ozdesk Grant at the end yeah. of Avalon, the one before last, and we hadn't. We'd sort of. You know, we'd sort of kind of PCDU had sort of finished off and it had drifted away, and 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 we'd gone and done a special Australia desk. We were there, um, and I don't know. It was I remember walking around. I was actually doing some work for AOPA uh, that year, uh, doing some media work for them. And uh, Grant and I did the uh, did the Australia desk, and we did it. We had a great laugh, and it was quite emotional at the end. Like, yeah, you know, um, tears in the eyes for both of us. It was like we this always, was so much fun. And then that's the cool thing. Like um, we are such different people, uh, me and Grant. But um, you know, he's one of my best friends, and we've done that through podcasting, and it's awesome. He it's tolerates awesome. me. It's good. Yeah, most of the time. <laughs> well, so long as I keep the payments up, we're all good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, about that. Have you got my bill? Well, I don't know. I'm still trying to regrow that kidney I paid to Rod Mark so we could get onto the onto the airplane gigs. Oh, let's not mention <laughs> that guy. <laughs> So that being said, is there some interview or story that would, you know, get the band back together? Even if it was just one episode? Uh, we wow. keep talking about doing that farewell episode because people like um, oh, yeah. there was some great content submitted from people saying, you know, how good it's been and and um Captain Nick from um the UK, he's um he 
former Tornado and F-18 pilot, um, flew F-18s on exchange down here, flew Phantoms and Tornadoes and, and all that, and then was a captain with on the A340. He appears on um, the airline pilot guy and occasionally on Plane Talking UK. And really lovely guy. He and I trade insults all the time about balloons. Not He doesn't consider that <laughs> flying and things. You know. So we, we have a lot of fun about that and, um, and various other topics. But he's a lovely guy. And, um, yeah, he, he sang to, to the theme of Waltzing Matilda a farewell to us. And, you know, it'd be lovely to, to play that and then go, yeah, well, it was fun. And exactly what we just talked about to you today, you know, it was it had its time in it was a big community service in a way we were giving something to the aviation community because we, yeah, we got some sponsorship and it helped cover some of the costs, but it didn't cover the time or all of the costs, but, you know, it helped. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know. And I think... You've definitely hey, got to do it for the love of it. Yeah, oh, I think yeah. there, there came a point perhaps where oh, perhaps we were just focusing on the wrong things, like how do we make this, how do we make great money out of this, whereas, you know, we just got to think back to it and think back to the times when we were just doing this to have a bit of fun and get a, mm. you know, we got the odd media right, well, hey, how cool is that? So. <sighs> What, yeah. what would get me back? Yeah, uh, hello, roulettes. I'd love a ride with you guys. I'll make an episode. I promise. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you right now, I would give up beer for as long as it took for me to lose enough weight to go and do an F-18 flight. Absolutely yeah. guaranteed. Um, yeah. I would be out there. I mean, I'm already having to do a lot of exercise just to counteract my lovely wife's amazing cooking and my love of beer, but I would I would lose the weight required to get a, a ride, even in a classic you know yeah. that's yeah. I've, I've flown um thanks to contacts i've been flown in an l39 i've flown aerobatics and yak 52s um that's awesome. i've i've had the opportunity to go up um in a, a red bull painted um, um extra 200 with joel from mm. um, sydney aerobatics oh, and yeah. we, that was when we hammered that aircraft and flew it all around the place and he got me to plus eight g's on a 270 degree turn and i'm going oh my god you're losing me oh, and i'm back uh, you know, it was amazing. I've had all these experiences, the C-27. I've been on the tarmac with all sorts of aircraft and met some amazing folks who are really, 99% of the people out there are just wonderful people um, in the aviation world on all sides. And you know, it has been fantastic. So, yeah, it'd be great, um, you know, some of the big air shows to cover them again, except lately I've been doing commentary at them so you know like i did the raf show at edinburgh in november that was on my birthday that's awesome yeah on my birthday in november last year around about ooh, very close to coming up on this time last year um i was telling about forty thousand people about the joys of aviation um uh, working with ando and a local um adelaide radio personality and a, um, a gentleman from the uk who is on exchange flying the e7 and a couple other folks and we were and oh yeah how could i forget the gentleman from um he does reservist pr and we we were the, the commentary team and we had a blast it was awesome and that ability to help educate people in a, a fun positive not monotonic over the top too much detail that kind of thing has just been awesome totally. and that we've got that came out of the the aviation show doing pcdu led to that yep yep it's it's led to a lot of it's led to a lot of opportunities. It's been a I say this to a lot of people. It's been a great adventure, and um, and that's exactly what it was. It was an it was an adventure. It was awesome, and it was because I was I did um, some commentary for Chris Andronicu, um at one of the wings over Illawarra. He had a script he wanted read, and you know Ando was like, "Oh, not my style," and the other gentleman was like, "Oh, not my style." And so I said, well, "I'll do it," 
And so I put on a bit of an of a USAF F sixteen commentator voice and and I did it. And he and his sponsors. Can we, can we hear what that sounds like? <laughs> well, pulling out of the dive now as he's exceeding six G's on the aircraft and is currently looking at his gauges to figure out where his brain really is. He's about to set up for the next maneuver. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, so I, awesome. I, it wasn't quite like that. I had a bit of fun with it because um, I mean his, his script opened with, "Ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble." And <laughs> yeah, that's, I was I was running media for that air show, that particular air show at that time. I remember looking at that script, going, "Oh dear," <laughs> but it worked for what he was doing. It worked, and so you know, so this was Paul Andronicu, and um, he's an amazing pilot. Does some he throws this extra around it really well. He's right up there and and doing amazing stuff. And so I did some commentary for him at a Lilydale air show. He asked if I if I'd be willing to do Avalon. I said, "Hell yeah." Just get me in the door and I'm there. And so I went to the practice sessions, um, watched lots of videos, figured the pacing. We put the script together. I did it on the first day and um, the, um, not, oh, he'll kill me. Um, the voice of Avalon, Peter, um, Peter Meehan. Um, he's been the voice of Avalon for so long. And he took me aside and gave me some pointers uh, to help. And I bounced them past Chris to make sure he was okay with that. We incorporated them. And that commentary was when Chris was doing his display, I was getting lots of really good comments from pilots, commentators, and and crowd. People from the crowd just come up and go, wow, that was great. You really helped. And it was Paul doing some amazing flying and me talking at the right spots to help explain because you can do some amazing flying, but a lot of the people on the ground won't really get what's so amazing about it so you don't want to overdo it but you want to help explain and a brilliant display can be ruined by poor commentary i know i've done it (laughs) it's it's knowing when not to talk as much as when to talk yeah if you've got if you've got a uh, an avenger or a mustang uh, coming past or we're away um you know this is the only one of these aircraft a boomerang flying in australia at the time except you know they're now more common you will say uh, like those aircraft, especially the ones that aren't the high performance, they've got to do big turns. They've got to do their, their dairy returns to come back and get back into the area. That's when you talk. That's when you tell them the history of the aircraft. You tell them a bit when they're taxiing out. You tell them a bit when they're taxiing in. But as they're coming past, I will say, now let's just enjoy the sound of this you know, 2,000 horsepower Pratt & Whitney radial. Bleh. Wasn't that great? Imagine a whole bunch of these at low level coming straight for your carrier on a torpedo run. You know, the, And... Because you've got people out there who are trying to record that sound. They're shooting with their cameras or they're recording the audio or something. They they just they don't want to hear your voice as that aircraft comes past. They want to get that perfect shot video of that aircraft as it's going past with its wings banked, showing the upper sign, all that stuff, with that beautiful sound. And then as it goes away, you say, now you may have noticed that on that Avenger, there's um, an arrow on one wing pointing forward and an arrow on the tail pointing up. That does not mean this way forward, this way up. You know that, and you explain as he's doing <laughs> yeah. this big turn about markings on carriers during the war, so that you didn't land on the wrong carrier because that was really bad because you got your aircraft tagged, you had to buy beers, blah blah blah. You know, <laughs> and it still happens to this day if you, God forbid, land on the wrong carrier. But um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, and as Steve said, it's knowing when to shut up, which most people wouldn't believe it to quote Matt Hall, Grant's okay, he can talk underwater, as you may have noticed from this episode. Um, so, you know, it's it's just an amazing, and, and it's an experience to tell anywhere from a few hundred people at a small country gathering to, you know, 40,000, 50,000 at a major event, or even solo commentary for a 5,000-person event 
and in a rural capital. You know, it's it's major city. It's just amazing. Totally. So we're getting to the point of the podcast where I ask these uh, questions that I ask everyone. What's been each of your most memorable flights so far? Um, and yeah, this has sort of turned into a two-parter, but we're already a two-parter today. <laughs> so it's a four-parter because <laughs> so I've got two. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> yeah so, um, so it could be either, you know, uh, exciting and sort of, you know, uh, scenic, or it could be nail-biting or both. Well, look, everybody knows my favourite flight, <laughs> which was the aforementioned Hercules flight uh, or the KC-30A, <laughs> but uh, going up in the L-39, I reckon, trumps all of that um, with Mark Pracy. That was just mind-blowing, mind-blowing. It was awesome. So, yeah, uh, if you ever get the chance to do it, it's not cheap, but it's it's really worth it. Um, there's plenty of L39s going around these days. Uh, but Mark Pracy, totally, who's, yeah. Mark Pracy, who's uh, up, up in the Hunter Valley, he's a he's become a, a good friend. Um, he'll give you a great ride. Highly recommended. So, uh, yeah, that that and the Herc, I reckon. Yeah, when I awesome. when I had my ride with him, he, 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 he did some aileron rolls, and I was whoa! I think I left my brain back there. He goes, oh, let's go back the other way. And once he realised that was what set me off on every Cuban eight on the downline, multiple rolls. You know, <laughs> oh, thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, look, I've had aerobatic rides that have been amazing. I have had, um, you know, some some rides with the military. I've had all sorts of stuff like that. I've had me trying to learn how to fly fixed wing, in a classic moment with my instructor. I'm in the downwind and I'm pitched Renevel, and then suddenly I'm climbing. Ah, retrim. Now I'm descending. Ah, bloody hell, retrim. After two or three goes of this, I realise he's laughing, and I realise that he is actually um, like playing with his foot on the. Um, Pe- the, the cables for the yoke on the Cessna 150. Oh, and no. I'm a cheaty bugger. <laughs> so that was, that was good fun. But the, I think the one that was really interesting was the first time I took my lovely wife for a balloon flight and we were up in Mansfield area and I'm following, doing what I normally do on my first few flights, I'm following the commercial guys. And I'm realising that I'm now over an area I can't land and the commercial guys are going in and there's fog ahead. And they're landing in a field. And I'm like, shoot, I've flown myself into a canyon. I have to land here because otherwise it's fog. And as I came over the field and was doing the survey and said, right, there's the trees, no power lines, two big balloons, I can land here. The fog broke and came in. So I descended into fog over a, um, a pond that I knew was there. And when I could hear the sheep, I was rounding and there's the, the pond and there's some grey. And I'm coming back with the fog. And I'm like, yeah, that's that tree. I go up a little. I can see the two crowns of the balloons and then back down into the fog and land. And my heart was racing because I'm like, great, I've just taken my lovely bride for her first flight in a balloon and I'm going to crash us or something. You know? So <laughs> that was kind of tense. And you know, there's been a couple other interesting flights like that. But at the same time, it was exhilarating, um, yeah, especially once totally. we were down and then had to sit there at minus two degrees waiting for my ground crew to find me in the fog. But, <laughs> but it, was very, it was educational. I learned a lot about what not to do. And you know, I, I, fortunately, the training about checking the areas, planning the flight, looking what the others were doing and doing the same all paid off. But yeah, totally. it was intense. <laughs> so that also leads to the last of the two fun things, which is what would your dream flight be that you could take just for fun? And would it be together as a team? Um, <laughs> the day that I take it... Or it's like, no, we actually hate each other. That's yeah, why well, we work yeah. so well. It's he like won't come in a balloon with me. really don't like each other. He won't come yeah. in a balloon with me. <laughs> Refuses. I don't know why, especially after that last story. That's why we cut off Grant's, yeah. that's why we cut Grant's video off before. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, mine's probably not, not as thrilling as some. Um, 
if I was ever lucky enough to take delivery of my own Cessna 172 or my own Piper Warrior, then that first flight in that, that's my dream flight. That's what I want. Mm, that'd be awesome. Hopefully the lotto numbers will come up this week. <laughs> Tell him he's dreaming. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's what I want. I know how to fly them. I don't really know how to fly anything else. And um, that's that's been the dream for a long time. So, yeah, if that ever came to fruition, then that first flight would be awesome. And I'd even invite Grant along. Oh, honoured. <laughs> to to, to answer the what... second part of your question, you'd have to sit in the back seat, though. Yeah, wait and balance. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me it would be to... Um, do one of the Starship 2 kind of flights into suborbital. Um, mm. I dream of doing deeper space, absolutely dream of deep space. That would be fantastic for me. But um, there was talk at one point that you could actually go and get your, your astronaut's wings. If you were an existing pilot, you'd go up and do some of the, the training for your own personal flight, which you would eventually do as a passenger. It costs you a fortune, but then you would also be on board as the second, you'd get a, use simulators, get a secondary checkout, and then you'd go up for a couple of flights as a co-pilot and get your astronaut's wings. That'd be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's it's a million dollars? Excuse me while I just go and raid the bank. I mean, you know, it's I will find a way. I'll sort it out. Give me a few hours. (laughs) I will find a way. Yeah, well, my dark past is a computer boy coming back. But yes, Um, (laughs) but I would would just, yeah, that for me would be ace. I mean, you know, yes, take an albatross, a turbine albatross around the world in a, Beautiful kid out. I think I told the geeks that that would be something I'd love to do. But um, mm. dream flight, space, definitely space. Yeah, that'd be that'd be awesome. I'd I'd be very very keen as well. Hey, yeah. yep. um, well, yeah. Thanks for coming on the show, like both of you, and it's been pretty amazing hearing your story, and uh, also from the perspective of a entirely other podcast. Um, <laughs> Yeah, which is pretty funny. That's the first time I've had two people on the show, and it works really well. I'm yep. impressed. So. Who knew? Yep. Yeah. There you go. Excellent. Yeah. No, glad we could come on. Thanks so much for inviting us. It's been great yeah. listening to your show. And yeah, no worries. I reckon there's plenty of people out there who love your podcast, and you know, you guys have forged a bit of a legendary position for yourselves in aviation in Australia. I reckon so. That's scary. Um, it'll be good <laughs> oh, to hear your story. Very nice of you to say. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, but Thanks, no, it was, it was it was great fun. So I'm glad people yep. enjoyed it. Yeah, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing you take that role, mate. It's your turn. Yep. Yeah. No, no my pressure at all. Fill. No pressure <laughs> at all. Up and away, you know. You named it. Up and away. On you go, mate. Yeah, go on. Yeah. yeah. On your bike, up and away. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Well, yeah, I know where to come when I am uh, need questions. Uh, yeah. I need questions. Yeah. Happy to help, yep. mate. Happy to Any, help. So anytime. Yep, anytime. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thanks, mate. My pleasure. It's been awesome. Thanks for listening to episode 14 of Up and Away. Like I said earlier, there'll be one more episode of season one, and then I'll catch you all in 2021. And until then, stay safe, and I'll see you at the season finale.